1: Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of the Oxygen Starved Podcast, where we bring you your ABCs, adventure books, and conversation from 11,000 feet in the beautiful and now snow-covered Eastern Sierra. I'm one of your co-hosts, Christopher,
2: and with me is... I'm Stacy, and with us as always is producer Doug. Good morning, Doug. Good morning,
0: guys. How's it going?
2: Good. How are Good. you?
0: Doing okay. Doing okay. I get to go to Philadelphia next week to meet my first grandchild. Oh
2: Yay. my gosh! Congratulations. Yeah,
0: thank you. So looking exciting.
2: To it. That is Boy, amazing. Boy, girl,
0: Martha Charlotte. Oh, oh,
2: beautiful! I love it. What? That's a epic. Great. Yeah, it'll be reason fun to go. Yeah, that's I'm awesome. Looking forward
0: to it. I can't say that I've ever looked forward to changing diapers, but it may actually be occurring.
2: ha <laughs> <laughs> ha.
1: So, do uh, you, do you, is it really, Doug, do you feel like that feeling coming over you that it's that sweet spot where you're no longer the parent, you're the grandparent, and you get to do things? And, you know, I, I,
0: all I feel is kind of giddy. That's about it. I think it's probably going to clarify itself next week into something like that. But right now, I'm just totally excited to go.
2: Oh, that oh, is so awesome. So great. I, I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to have a grandchild, but. There you go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a whole other podcast episode, right? Stacey? I know, totally. <laughs> <laughs> Should probably warn your children first. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> well, anyway, listeners, welcome back to another episode. Uh, it is uh late october when we're recording this and yeah. we always record a few days at early so we're expecting a, kind of a nice winter storm to come in in the next few days and people's spirits are lifting and looking forward to snow and what have you right stace
2: Oh, definitely. The mountain's supposed to open two weeks earlier than anticipated. So, I mean, in my house, everybody's checking their ski boots and make sure we have all of our equipment and all of that kind of (laughs) stuff is happening around here. And um, it is an exciting time, but, you know, with, as things have gotten colder, it's kind of, Freaked out all of the animals that run around here. <laughs> I mean, like the real animals, not just us, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> exactly, especially the ones that um, that migrate through town. Right? We Ye- we've talked yep. about this on the episode before. How mm-hmm. deer migrate, and we had we kind of have our own little home farm of deer for a couple months. A couple times during the year that just hang around your office and the library yep. in Mammoth.
2: Yeah, and- they. They do. They like all the shrubbery and good, (laughs) good things to eat around there.
1: (laughs) This is why we pay for landscaping. Um, (laughs) no, it is funny though. And I've already twice this year, you know, mule deer, unlike white tailed deer, which I lived with for many years, mule deer are a little darker and they tend to blend well. (laughs) And there's a couple of times where I've just been like marching toward my car and my brain is somewhere else. And I almost walk into one, you know? (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh, absolutely. I had a I had an episode r- running down the path behind our offices, behind the college, and just kind of zoning out, listening to my music, running along, and it just happened, by luck, happened to look and barely, barely kept myself from plowing into the side of a <laughs> big old doe who was... In the middle of the path with her babies, and right? Yeah, they they come up on you quickly.
1: Yeah, they do, for and sure. they don't necessarily move out of the way. I guess we're not scary enough to make them.
2: Skitter. No, <laughs> and even the bears. You know, we we were. My husband was picking me up from the office one day, mm-hmm. and we were, you know, driving back down the road and up the path between the library and my office mm-hmm. up that bank. Yeah, comes this little baby cub. Aww. And he was all by himself and Uh-oh. he just, you know, we were driving really slow. And of course we stopped to get a picture because right. that's what you do. And, um, he just stood there and looked at us and we're like, Oh, <laughs> poor baby.
1: Did you look so around? Did you see his mother anywhere?
2: I know where that bear, where that mama bear, I know where she hangs out. So mm-hmm. they weren't too, he wasn't too far. The little cub was yeah. not too far from where she was. So. I hope he caught up to her soon. And down here in Crawley, we've had a mama bear with two cubs wandering around and a male bear. Wow. um, That we've seen in our yard. Who's got to be 350 pounds. So big. (laughs) And the two of them got into it. The male bear and the mama bear got into it a few weeks ago. And we had a big streak of blood on one of our, side of our house. And, um, but the mama bear was okay because our neighbor saw her with the two cubs about a week after that happened. So, Oh my goodness. You don't cross a mama bear. No, no. And it's just really, we heard the dogs barking when it happened. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course Lola got all crazy. So, um, yeah, but (laughs) <laughs> all of these all of these things, you know, we we're so privileged to live in wild kingdom yeah, <laughs> like we right? do. We, and we do. the book that we're gonna talk about is is along those lines. Yeah.
1: So this episode, that's kind of the theme of yep. of animals and us and living in the wild kingdom, which we are privileged. <laughs> that's a really good way of phrasing that. So the book we're gonna talk about today. Uh, listeners, we both read the same book, yeah. <laughs> which is nice. And it's by Mary Roach. It's called Fuzz When Nature Breaks the Law. And it's brand new. It just came out a couple of weeks ago. And uh, so you can find it at the library, you can find it at your bookstore or, or online or what have you. For those of you who don't know Mary Roach, she is kind of like, she's been described as the funniest science writer alive. She is, tackles um, just uh, a, a range of topics that interest her. She's She's got this great sense of humor and this kind of courageous curiosity. And she goes after topics that... She, her first book was called Stiff, and it was all about <laughs> what happens to human bodies when they're donated to science, right? And it was fascinating and and the reason it became a bestseller is because she took a pretty gruesome topic and made it very approachable and readable and in the meantime you're learning about like how bodies are used in airplane crash testing and for plastic surgery training and all this other kind of disgusting gross stuff um but she doesn't shy away from it and she also has done a couple of other great books that i like one is like what it takes to become an astronaut and that's called Packing for Mars. That came out a few years <laughs> ago. And then a little another older one is how ghost hunting works, called Spook. So if you want to have a good Halloween read, that's probably a good one to grab right now. But this one, uh, Fuzz, is she's just tackling the issue of you know when bears, when deer, when squirrels, when moose, when birds get in the way of humans or vice versa, especially mm-hmm. as we encroach on each other's territory more and more, you know, right. with housing developments mm-hmm. or airplane uh, or uh, airports and all this other kind of stuff. And, you know, we have all these kind of things that we put in place over time, um, you know, for us to deal with, with these animals. And what we've, what she learns is that we are still learning, <laughs> Right. you know, that, um, you know wildlife management has been around for almost as long as there have been hunters fishers and farmers in the Mm -hmm. u.s right like for a long time wildlife management was making sure that there was stuff to hunt and stuff to fish Mm -hmm. for and that you could grow a crop but we we've not always been so so good at it over the years so um you know i i Found this book really fascinating for that reason and also just because it's approachable. So, I will give one example just to give the listeners an idea if they've not read her before of her sense of humor or her way of going about <laughs> things. Um, you know, again, she is often as surprised, grossed out, or delighted as any of us would be of these kind of topics, but she she really is strategic about making it readable and funny as you go through. And she often puts the funny stuff in footnotes, kind of like a literary version of a, an aside conversation. Right. Um, you know, you're at the movies and you've got that person whispering in your ear the whole time, uh, but not in an annoying way. So the example she uses, and this is just, she's, she's going with a guy in Northern California to track mountain lions. Right, and it's mm-hmm. it's a fascinating chapter just in and of its own. I learned so much, but um, he is telling her how they track scent, you know, and this is like the zigzagging thing that animals use to kind of track scent um, over over a path. And so Roach tries this herself. She's back at her office. She's in a city and she's on the sidewalk in our city. And she's passed on the sidewalk by a young man who is wearing an abundance of Axe body spray (laughs) as young men in search of young women are wont to do, right? And so she's like, I'm going to try this out. So she lets him go around the corner out of sight. She waits a couple minutes and then she zigzags her way tracking the scent of Axe body spray and she actually finds the guy like a block away at a cheesesteak joint (laughs) eating a sandwich you know and she's like it works you know she didn't tell the reader (laughs) whether the guy was impressed he attracted a woman random stranger (laughs) off the street but I just thought that was a funny way of her like oh yeah let's, let's just try this and see how it works so um I just gave a whole lot of opening to the book, Stace. What did you think well, of that? Well, she,
2: you know, she also, has have to say, she also does an amazing job of describing the people that she's talking about yeah. and talking with. And so, you know, you really feel like you're in on the conversation, like, you know, you're right there with her when she's interviewing these people. Right. And, you know, she even has a sense of humor. She can get a little snarky <laughs> sometimes, which, you know, I have to admit, was is kind of fun, but, yeah. um, yeah, it was, it was really great. And I, I love that, you know, I've, I connected immediately with this because of the way she opened it by, she was in Denver, she was in Colorado. Right. And so her first kind of foray into this topic was, um, in, um, Aspen. Right. She's, she's with their, their wildlife person and they're, they are out in the middle of the night and they are seeing these bears, this one bear in particular ransack a restaurant dumpster. Right. And you know, that happens here all the time. Yeah. And not just, not just restaurant dumpsters, but you know, condominium complex dumpsters, you know, bears are getting into people's homes all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had bears walk in a bear. It sounds like a joke. A bear walks into a Vons grocery store, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but that has happened. You know, could you imagine you're doing your grocery shopping and turn around the corner and there's a bear in the middle of the (laughs) aisle, but that has in fact happened. So, you know, it was an immediate connection and, you know, I mean, she just brings up so many good questions for consideration and this issue of, wildlife containment or management, however you want to speak to it. First of all, it's not just a problem here in the United States. Right. She has a fascinating chapter about elephants in India. Right. And monkeys um, in Nepal. Yes. The monkey. That was, <laughs> that was great. She did a great job of that story. Yeah. And yeah. She actually set herself up with a bunch of bananas and, (laughs) you know, basically was attacked by monkeys, which they told her not to do, but you know, she had to experience it.
1: She was mugged, but
2: yeah, she was mugged by monkeys. You know, the thing that got me, that's really stuck with me that I was like, I couldn't believe are all the different tactics, if you will, that were used that are being used to help mitigate Species that are cause that we're perceiving as humans to cause problems right, and the fact that they are actually trying birth control techniques, was this on rats or yes. rodents or yep. some mm-hmm. um that was like, oh, come on, really, birth control on rodents <laughs>
1: Well, you know, it it shows the desperation, right? I mean, going Mm -hmm. back to the bear example, and we'll talk a little bit more about this with our guests in the next segment. Yes. I learned so much from that segment. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. those of us who live and work in the Eastern Sierra, we know what bear proof trash cans look like. You know, there's the signs everywhere. Don't leave your doors open. Don't leave something in your car. Right. And you know, she brings up all sorts of examples as she's traveling with this wildlife dude from Aspen who is responsible for managing wildlife within the town of Aspen. She could have just as easily been doing it here in Mammoth and got the same stories. Right.
2: Absolutely.
1: But you learn so much. Like, You know, I never knew. You know those kind of French door handles that are elongated Mm -hmm. rather than round that you have to turn. Yeah. Super easy for a bear to use. Yeah. You know your door handles should be solid and not hollow because they can just squish it and then open your door. Right. You know, and then they can go into your refrigerator while you're not there or while you're there. Yeah. um, And be very picky about what they pick out. They might be very you know, move the eggs gently out of the way and then grab the meat or whatever, you know, it's just fascinating. And what she really was good at pointing out in her conversation with the wildlife officer, which is that, you know, we, we do everything we can, but it can take just one bad apple, one restaurant, one tourist, one to kind of bring the bears into the area where they shouldn't be. And then you're in effect training them not to be afraid of humans Right. If, there's, if it's a mama bear with her cubs, the cubs are learning that behavior. And then that's what becomes a problem because then ultimately those bears may have to be dealt with in a not right. so gentle way. Right. Yeah.
2: Well, it's true. I mean, here, every time that has to happen where a bear has to be put down, you know, there's a segment of the community that just goes absolutely crazy. How could you do that? You know, but yeah. the fact is, is that by our behavior, Right. We're, we're allowing this to happen because we're, we're not, we're not doing our part to protect them.
1: Right. Right. If
2: that makes any sense. And there's so much
1: effort going into this. And so one other area that I thought was fascinating was uh, this kind of bird strike area, like with aviation and Mm -hmm. how they test like with, frozen chickens and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> she goes into all this detail that just is kind of eye opening, but yeah. there's this, actually there's this national wildlife strike database, which I never heard of that actually tracks bird strikes and, and wildlife yeah. strikes in airports and airplanes. Mm-hmm. Um, and she points out most of them happen on the ground. you <laughs> yeah. um, you know, sometimes, you know, it's mostly with takeoff and landing that birds become really dangerous. Um, yeah. But that the, the that the animal that, it, that the FAA says is most dangerous isn't a bird at all. It's the white-tailed deer. Yeah. And that's because runways typically have grass on the sides. They're open, and so the deer can go out and eat, and they can kind of see if a predator's coming, all that kind of stuff. And they aren't smart enough, really, evolutionary speaking, to get out of the way of a plane that's that's coming or going, right? Right. And, right. Um, you know, and she, in her typical snarky humor, she's like – Planes have not struck a deer in the sky. It's only been on ground. Um, (laughs) But, you know, she points out, like, there's so much study that is still going on into why deer get struck by vehicles or planes. And especially at night when all they see are the headlights. and. They don't understand that the headlights are attached to a massive amount of metal that's going to hurt them. Hurt, right. Right.
2: right. Um,
1: and they also aren't good at judging how quickly a car or a plane is coming at them. They can judge right. what, like, how quickly an animal is coming after them and get out of the way. But you know, a plane, right? Or a Not car, a machine. Yeah. Right. They, they don't. It doesn't register. Oh, that thing is coming at me at seventy-five miles an hour. Right. And so she talks about how there's even today research going into ways to um, make more of the vehicle visible at night so that they understand it's a bigger thing than just two little spotlights. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, and then she also points out that they are most active at dusk and dawn. Absolutely. We in the Eastern Sierra know very well, right?
2: Yeah. Yep.
1: You see the red blood stains on 395 going to work almost every other day yep. during migration season. And it's really kind of sad. Um, but one tidbit, you know, this typical Mary Roach tidbit that we learned out of that is that mm. um, because of that, they see in ultraviolet very, very well. Like it's almost daytime to them, whereas us, it's very murky. Right. And so she points out, you know, if deer can see ultraviolet very well, if you're washing your deer camo in your washing machine and you're using a commercial detergent that is brightening the colors, very often they use ultraviolet compounds to do that. So you may actually be making your deer camo more visible, more visible, <laughs> which I thought was fascinating. I,
2: I love that. And I shared that with my husband because he is a hunter and he's like, oh, really? And then, <laughs> you know, and the fact that they, that the colors like orange and red, they don't see well, right. Well, his his all of because of what he does for his job, all of his <laughs> you know company's shirts are this bright orange. I'm like, so you should just wear your work clothes now <laughs> when you go hunting, and yeah. don't forget all that camo stuff.
1: <laughs> it may actually work. You don't need great. that. Yeah, yeah but these are little tidbits that you learn. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of learn along the way. The other funny tidbit that I loved about when she was talking about birds was birds and farmers and birds like crows mm-hmm. or what starlings or whatever that come in and eat a crop as it's coming up and farmers for a long time would put up scarecrows in their fields and how animals habituate. Like it's scary at first, but then they get used to it and they understand it's not going to hurt them. And she says, in fact, it's understood now that many birds will they'll just treat that as like McDonald's golden arches. They see a scarecrow in a field as they're migrating over. They know they can go down to that field and get some good Mm. food. Right. And there was this one kind of study and attempt a couple decades ago of like trying to make scarecrows more effective by having other scarecrows pop up randomly and act threatening and scare away the birds. So they, these guys went out into a field dressed funny and would wait for the birds to show up. And then they'd pop up and dance around and act threatening and shoot (laughs) off pellet guns or something. And, um, how that worked again for a little bit, but then they just became the entertainment for the birds they would just they right. oh, <laughs> just watch them yeah it's, and she writes it so so humorously I thought
2: yeah she does a great a great job of of describing like I said like describing people and their antics and their actions and you know one of my favorite exchanges that she had in the book was with a woman in India
1: oh right. and
2: they Talking about the situation with the elephants. Yeah. And so she said to this woman that she was talking to, she asked her, well, you know, if they come in and they destroy your home or your hotel or, you know, your crops, your livelihood, don't you think you, they should be shot and killed? And she's like, the woman in India responded with, why would you shoot a god? Why uh-huh. would you kill a god? Because in India, Hindus, elephants are deities. They are. So, I mean, it, it just illustrated, it was so poignant because yeah. it just illustrated really the crux of the question. Right. Is, you know, how do you keep humans safe? Right. You know, keep crops safe, but still allow the animals to live and flourish? even though we're infringing on their territory.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, it's, it's such a loaded question and, you know, look forward to hearing what our guest has to say about yeah, this. Since totally. He deals with it every day.
1: Yeah. That is the crux of the question. And, you know, there are people who sit on either side of that argument, right. Don't hurt any animals. And then right. some are like, well, maybe we responsibly cull and that sort of thing. And, and, you know, she kind of goes into all of that and she yep. doesn't really come out on any kind of definitive answer no. on her own. She just presents it for people to think yeah. about.
2: Yeah. It's just, and I think she does a really good, that's really hard thing to do. You know, yeah. when you've, when you've ha- spent all this time on this subject and you've talked to such a huge variety of people, she never really lets her personal opinion about any right. of this seep in. And that's, that's pretty amazing too.
1: That makes her a good so. kind of citizen scientist. So I will yeah. leave. I'll leave our listeners with a teaser that will make them want to go out and get this book from the library or their bookstore. Um, she has a whole chapter on the U.S. military when they took over Midway Island yeah. and the albatrosses that lived and continue to live on Midway Island. Mm-hmm. It is one of the funniest chapters I have ever read. <laughs> Just all the military. You know, military versus dumb birds, um, who aren't really so dumb, apparently, um, kind of like this conflict going over decades. And, um, there's a lot of funny and interesting and enlightening information in that chapter that I think our listeners would enjoy, um, You know, I will say the military is no longer on Midway Island, but the albatrosses are. And you kind of learn why in this chapter.
2: Definitely. It was a a good chapter for sure. I chuckled
1: out loud. So this is, (laughs) the book is called Fuzz, When Nature Breaks the Law by Mary Roach. It's already on bestseller list. You can find it at bookstores. You can find it at the library. Um, Check it out and let us know what you think.
2: And we'll be right back
0: you are dialed in to Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet, originating from the slopes of Mammoth Mountain in Mono County, California. You can find us at SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us at oxygenstarvedpodcast.com. Just make sure you find us.
2: Welcome back, listeners. We are here with our guest, Rick Bellis. He is the co compliance officer for the town of Mammoth Lakes. We're so pleased that he could join us today. Welcome, Rick. Rick. Thank you.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: How are you doing this morning?
3: I'm doing well. How about you?
2: Oh, just just live in the dream <laughs> We
1: all are up here uh, yeah. That's the point of living up here right mm-hmm. I,
2: I love that I love that phrase because whenever I say it, whoever I'm talking to always laughs. Yeah. It just never fails so well we're so we're so pleased that you could join us today, and you know we've been talking about the wildlife that we have the privilege to live with here in the Eastern Sierra, live and walk amongst us. And that has something to do with your role here. Can you tell us about it?
3: Well, uh, I I came up here about five years ago. I originally came up as a police officer. I used to be Mm -hmm. a game warden for the department of fish and wildlife down in San Bernardino County. Okay. And, um, uh, I left the department, came back as a code of compliance officer. And um, uh, the, the previous wildlife manager didn't accept his last contract. And they asked, well, can you do this? I go, yeah, I can do this. It's what I used to do before. Right. Uh, in fact, uh, down in San Bernardino, it was mostly an urban environment I was dealing with bears in. So right. down there, we actually had to dart them and relocate them out of the neighborhoods and away from the freeways. Wow. So uh, when I came up here, it was, um, it was just kind of like the same thing only instead we can't really dart them up here um there's nowhere
1: to take them to because this is where they belong so right <laughs> yeah you must, in, sorry to dive into this real quickly um uh you must have also dealt with like mountain lions and other stuff down there right in San uh, all
3: kinds of stuff down there in fact we have mountain lions up here but we haven't done anything with mm-hmm. them uh, but uh, for example uh part of my area was hesperia which is the high desert and we had uh, a guy who called us one day. He thought there was a raccoon in his garage all uh, weekend long. His dog kept barking at the garage. So finally, on Monday, he got sick of it and went and poked under his workbench to get the raccoon out of there. And it didn't move. And he looked, and he was staring face-to-face with the mountain lion. So, <laughs> <gasps> Wow. So uh,
1: he, Oh, yeah.
2: my. So they called wow. us. <laughs> he,
1: he recovered his senses enough to get out of there and make a phone yes. call to the experts. <laughs> and you have to remember, the majority of wildlife, they're looking for meals. They're not looking for fights. So
3: yeah. I'm yeah. sure the, the cat was just as startled to be stuck in that garage as, as that guy was to see him in there. But did so you, as, oh, as a
2: co-compliance officer, who is more compliant here, the animals or the humans?
3: Definitely the animals. <laughs> I would say the majority of my um, they have me start working at night in August. Uh bears are primarily nocturnal. They they do uh right. walk around during the day, however. Um and basically what I do at night, especially on the nights before trash night, is I drive around and I lock dumpsters. Oh. Uh, the majority yeah. of our problems right now are people not locking their dumpsters. Uh, we have, we've had a few and there's a couple, I believe someone's deliberately unlocking them because they're they're right in plain view. And I see them locked at the beginning of my shift. And we had one the other night, uh, I drove by and I, I know that dumpster was locked. I locked it and there's a huge bear standing in it eating trash. Oh Um, man. So, and right now the bears are in their stage of hyperphagia, which they're eating everything. Right, it's about it's about to wind down. Usually winds down, and basically they have a instinct that tells them what weight they have to be to survive
1: the winter. Oh
3: wow! And so they just eat until they hit that weight.
1: So uh, diving right into bears as we've done, you know, Stacey and I just discussed this book by Mary Roach called "Fuzz," and and you read it, right? Yes,
3: yes. I kind of cheated. I'm not, I'm kind of ashamed of this because I'm not a big audiobook person. But we had a long <laughs> road trip. I go, well, let me let's just get the Download it. So
1: Perfect. That's all right. And she
3: and she read it, so
1: uh,
3: the, uh, the the author was the uh
1: narrator. She's so. the narrator? Yes. That's good. She's a pretty funny writer, so I hope the she narration is. was good. But there's a whole chapter in there with her like going around Aspen, Colorado with Aspen's version of you. Yes. So what did you think of that chapter? Cause she brought up some of these issues.
3: I I felt for that guy. <laughs> so, everything he said, I have uttered. She stole my line that where I say bears just do what they do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't remember getting interviewed, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, they do. They, they bears are just instinctual animals, like all wild animals. And, uh, it's it's really up to us, just like in Aspen, just like in Tahoe, um, just like uh, just like in Big Bear, where I came from. It's really up to us when there's an area that is known for wildlife, and realistically, you you say we're fortunate to to live there and to see it. We are fortunate, yeah, but we got to take care of it, <laughs> yeah, and it's it's our responsibility,
1: yeah, and so you don't. Tag and deport bears like you did down south. What what do you do here? Well here, uh well down south, usually when we
3: were tagging bears, they were in an urban area. Right. The last one I dealt with was in Rancho Cucamonga. It was a tenth of a mile from the 215 freeway or two ten yeah. freeway, excuse me. Yeah. Right next to an elementary school. We had media fly, uh, flying above us. Um <laughs> oh. and like and, and so I get there, there's about thirty uh, San Bernardino County Sheriff deputies in the yard and they go, what can we do? I go, everybody leave. <laughs> <laughs> and, when I, and so, and they, I go, get the people away from the fence where the dog's barking. And if you can get rid of the helicopters above us and they go, we can't get rid of those. Um, wow, so I waited, really? I hid behind a giant eucalyptus tree. Cause this bear was about 60 feet up in another eucalyptus tree. Oh wow! And you can't dart them at that height because they're going to fall and,
2: right. and injure
1: themselves. Yeah. So
3: I hid there, and all of a sudden, all the helicopters just flew away because they were out of fuel. And within 30 seconds, I could hear the bear sliding down the tree. So I, I leaned out. As soon as I saw all of his paws on the, on the ground, he was facing away from the tree. I darted him. He ran about um, 100 feet, passed out under someone's yard. And we transported him to the uh, Angeles National Forest. And we tagged them and uh, I, and so that way we can keep track of the bears for usually after about three strikes, they're sent off to a zoo. Okay. So that's what we try to do with them. So up here though, um, the tagging process, the drugging process is kind of the, the realm of the department of fish and wildlife. Mm-hmm. Um, I do work with a local biologist, uh, the local game warden and I went to the Academy together. Um, so we work pretty well together. And uh uh, so here we just basically beanbag them or we dart them oh, – not dart them, excuse me, beanbag them or we use uh, rubber slugs, yeah. which aren't very effective for the larger bears, but they're good for the cubs because the beanbags aren't the type that you use on human beings. You use them on um, for large wildlife because it could actually cause a lot of damage to a person. Oh, wow. And I always hit them right in the flesh area of the rump. So, mm-hmm. for example, we had one inside uh, uh, employee housing at the chutes. It was a beautiful, beautiful bear. It was silvery, beautifully proportioned, and giant. Wow. And uh, as soon as I, I had to go around the back to get the keys, uh, the house keys, the front door keys of the people who were hiding in their room, <laughs> oh.
2: so
3: I opened the door, and I had to push the bear out of the way, and he just casually walks out, looks at me like my dog looks at me, and I go, kill oh, <laughs> him. So he starts running, and so I hit him three times with bean beanbags, and, and he was gone. And that's, wow. that's a, it's, it's a, it's
1: effective to a point they'll be back. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if there's food available, they're going to be back. Right. So how often does this happen? I mean, is this, you know, I hate to use this word. Is this always negligence on part of the homeowner, you know, in leaving stuff out or doors open or whatever, or do, are bears going to get in regardless?
3: Well, nine times out of 10, it's negligence on the homeowner's part or the, or the mm. vehicle owner's. We got mm-hmm. we have a lot of tourists up here. Um, last year, especially when uh, we had a lot of people who weren't outdoors people, they were hotel people, Sorry. and they tried camping for the first time because all the hotels were closed. It was it was a madhouse. Um, yeah, it's like there was no concept of outdoor courtesy etiquette. Um, yeah, what you need to do to protect yourself and. And and the the area you're visiting, it was it was kind of uh, it was kind of heartbreaking actually. <laughs> Cause, yeah. cause I'm a big advocate of getting people outside, and right. I almost changed my mind. So <laughs> after last year, <laughs> <laughs> but so nine times out of ten. However, the bears are uh, they're they're unbelievably intelligent animals. Um, they'll see something. Like, for example, I had uh, we had a, a, at one of our hotels. Someone had left an empty cooler in the back of their car. Uh, The bear walked by, saw the cooler, didn't smell anything, broke the window out, checked the cooler, and then went on its way. So that person actually thought they were doing what was right, but the the bear recognized the shape. We had a bear, uh, an old mammoth, that I believe uh, saw a refrigerator and broke a giant uh, 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 plate glass window. Just leaning up against oh. it, I don't because they'll they'll try stuff. They'll try to pry things open, but a big window is just really for especially an animal that strong is easy to break. Went in, went right to the freezer, ate all their ice cream, and oh. left. So <laughs> that's all they wanted. Wow! Um, so if they've been in a house before, they'll they know what a refrigerator is. Yeah. And but I would say the majority of the calls we get, they'll come by and and any of the door handles that are that are the handle shape, not the round right. ones. They'll, they'll touch them to see if they work. Uh, they'll uh, pull open a door handle on a car to see if it's unlocked. If your window on your car is cracked, they'll pull it out. Uh, and the problem with that is they're really good at getting into cars or getting into buildings. They don't know how to get out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where a lot of damage occurs, especially in cars. You'll see a, a bear go into a car, get locked in, panic, and destroy the car.
2: Uh, oh, wow. That's crazy.
1: Um, staying on bears for a minute. So say you're a tourist or you're just a, a resident in Mammoth or somewhere around the Eastern Sierra, and you mm-hmm. wake up in the middle of the night and you hear something in the kitchen, and then it turns out to be a bear. What should you do? I would immediately call call the
3: police department. All, the, all our officers are trained in that. Um, the bear, again, is not looking for a confrontation. A lot of yelling and screaming goes a long way with a bear. Okay. Um, if you can throw stuff at it, not to, try not to hit the head because that can do damage. But again, don't get in the way of the exit, um, or get don't get in the way of the food. Um, and, and because, like I said, they they're really not looking for a confrontation. Yeah, they're just. But there are some large boars that you come and yell at them. They just kind of look at you.
1: <laughs> so
3: and then, just uh, at that
1: point, wait for us to show up. So. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to stay until I'm forced to leave kind of thing. What about about other animals aside from bear bears are often, you know, kind of like a big, you know, draw a lot of attention animal, but Mm -hmm. we must deal with other animal issues around this area. We have a
3: a lot of raccoons in town. (laughs) Um, In fact, one of the, when I first came up here, one of the first bear calls I went on was actually a raccoon. Um, you know, a lot. You know, a lot of our homes up here. You have the living quarters downstairs, and then the kitchen and living room upstairs, so right. you can enjoy the views. So, it was a group of, of uh, mountain employees who had come home. Their door would had swollen because of it was wet, and they couldn't mm-hmm. lock it. So okay. they got home. The door was open. They they, they could have swore they heard heard a bear upstairs. So I get there, and uh, I go, "There is a bear upstairs. I could hear it stomping around." So I sneak up the stairs, and I, I look around. Their kitchen is destroyed. Um, there's cereal boxes everywhere, but there's no bear. I'm like, well, where's the bear? Then I felt like there was something watching me, and I turn around, and up in the rafter above the stairs is a raccoon staring at me. And I'm like, oh, it's a raccoon did this? So they had like a, a, like a decorative fake ladder. So I thought it would be a good idea to – to push this raccoon off the rafters and he'd, I figured he'd run out the front door. Right. This thing had a growl come out of it that I didn't know they could make. Uh, so, oh. And so I go, Oh, so I put the ladder down, walked downstairs. I just turned all the lights off except for the front porch light, opened the front door, and within five minutes, the, the raccoon walked out. So, wow. and raccoons, they're, they're, they're
2: mean, right?
3: You know what? I am more afraid of a raccoon than I am of a bear or a mountain lion. Because uh, they are mean. I I used to have to inspect zoos, and there was one out of Big Bear where um, the the uh, owner basically leased large predators out to movie productions. And so oh. he and I literally walked through a cage with a an African lion, a grizzly bear, a tiger. They didn't even look up at us. We walked by the raccoon cage, and the raccoon reached out and scratched him.
1: <laughs> he wow! Goes, he goes, I don't like those
3: things. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, so yeah. I'm, I'm more afraid of raccoons than anything else. Oh man! Uh, we also have a mountain lion that that goes through town. We've had two mountain lion kills. Uh, not the the two deers, two deer killed by mountain lions. Yeah, uh, an old mammoth. And I talked to our local biologist for fish and wildlife, and he showed me the map uh, of the animal because he has a the she has a tracking collar on She's her. Dead. Wow! And uh, basically, it goes up from the Uh, duck lake and makes a straight Uh shot down into old mammoth and makes a straight beeline all the way up to june lake and comes back
1: so
2: that's its route
1: huh yeah that's you know because mary roach writes about that in the book too and how they Mm -hmm. do have Mm -hmm. routes and they'll often use roads because they're the easiest way to get from point a to point it's fascinating a lot of our a lot of our bears uh,
3: travel through town through the
2: culverts ah wow interesting yeah Rick, what
1: got you into this? You, you worked with Fish and Wildlife before this. What got you to working with animals?
3: It was a completely roundabout, indirect course. My <laughs> uh, my, my degree of study is business. Uh-huh. Uh, after graduating college, I started, work, I started messing around with computers, and I ended up being a, a technical writer and a corporate trainer for many years. Mm-hmm. But I was always an avid outdoorsman, a big I love to camp. I love to hike. I've, I've been coming up to the Eastern Sierra since 1981. Yeah, And, uh, and, I, was, and uh, I was working for a large subprime lender in the mid-2000s. And every time Alan Greenspan said anything, I saw my stocks move. I go, I can't be the only one seeing this. So I sold <laughs> all my stocks just before everything fell apart. Uh-huh. And a few years earlier, I had been on the Orange County search and rescue team. Yeah, And I was also a Forest Service volunteer for the Cleveland National Forest. And we're doing some training with the Forest Service, and I don't. To this day, I can't tell you what I said to the to the, to the ranger for the Cleveland District, and he looks at me, and goes, "No, if you want to do something like this, become a game warden. Look at fishers game." Mm-hmm. So, about four years later, I, I I I saw my company slowly falling apart, and uh, I had a summer cold, and I thought to myself, "Well, I can either stay in bed and be sick." Or I can go out to Eastern Sierra and sleep in a tent for three days and be sick. So I just came up with <laughs> my dog and I. And on the way home, uh, southbound 395, at the Alabama spillway, just north of Lone Pine, I thought yep. to myself, I'm gonna become a game warden. And yes. I was 41 at the time. So, <laughs> so, so I started change. researching it. And uh at the end of the summer, it was August, about two months after I started looking. I, I saw the test announcement, announcement for fish and wildlife. I saw all the requirements. I met the science requirement already because you have to have a, at least 60 college units and 18 of them have to be in science for fish and wildlife. Okay. And so I met all the requirements. The week I applied for the test, I got laid off from my company.
2: Wow. And it was
3: a, so I thought, well, that's meant to be. It only took yeah. me a year and a half to get hired. So <laughs> I was 42 <laughs> at the academy. And, um, uh, I, I was, I was with that department for about 10 years and then, uh, decided my wife and I were, we were living in San Bernardino, we were living in the high desert and I love the desert, but it was starting right. to get really crowded. Um, yeah. and I thought, you know what, let's, let's go to the Eastern Sierra. There wasn't an available position for fish and wildlife up here. So I I started with the Mammoth Lakes Police Department and that's how I ended up here.
2: That's, that's awesome.
1: I like that, <laughs> you know, that, that, you know, you kind of just have this epiphany driving down the highway, you know, like it, this is what I need to do. It was a literal epiphany. I almost pulled over. And <laughs> That's <great. It> was, <laughs> like, I
3: mean, I was like, and then I th- cause I was, you know, you, a lot of times you go, Man, that'd be a good job. That'd be a fun job. How do you get to do a job like that? And I thought, well, you just do it. And I don't know why it took me so long to figure that out. So <laughs> yeah,
1: Exactly. So,
2: so you, you mentioned that you're, you love to hike and backpack and things like that. What are some of the, your favorite places to hike my around My favorite here? places
3: are top secret. But
2: okay. <laughs> Respect. But my, the, my, uh,
3: my fir- the first place I went backpacking in 1981 was um, the Hilton Lakes out of Rock Creek. Oh uh, yeah. And so uh, I, I used to date a woman who wanted to start backpacking, and I took her there. I took my niece there on her first backpacking trip. It's a it's a relatively easy walk. It's it's barely a day in, and you, mm-hmm. if you go up the Hilton Lakes two, three, four, five, uh, all the way up yeah. to ten, it's it gets smaller and smaller. It's, it's I think it's a really interesting hike. In yeah. fact, when I went with my niece a few years ago, we and instead of coming out the same way we went in. We hiked down towards um, uh, Crowley. Yeah. Because I can remember being at Davis Lake back in 1981, looking out over the valley, wondering, I wonder what's down there. Never,
2: (laughs) never occurring.
3: (laughs) It never occurred to me that I would be living there one day. So (laughs) (laughs) it's
2: awesome. Davis Lake is one of, is probably my favorite.
3: It's beautiful. It's beautiful.
2: Yeah. I I really like that a lot. That's awesome. So when you're, when you're out and you're having on your own time and you're having an adventure and you're enjoying a hike and a backpack and camping and you see other people that are maybe being irresponsible or not doing something correct, do you, do you intervene? Do you, or do you just like, well, I'm, I'm off duty. I'm not I you try know, like, not that, to intervene. was that hard. <laughs> I try
3: not to intervene, but sometimes I got to say something. Yeah. just put that away. Stop doing what you're doing. Um, my wife and I were up at um, Saddleback Lake. We did the loop mm-hmm. around the lake. Yes. And at the dam at the south end, some guy was catching some beautiful trout and he was doing catch and release. And he was unhooking the trout and just dropping them down the face of the dam, and the trout would bounce off. And if you look at the the southwest corner of the dam, we're about 10 dead, beautiful trout. And I looked at that guy. I go, hey, it's not a baseball, man. You got to release them gently uh, because what you're doing is killing fish. I go, if I was working right now, you'd be getting a serious ticket for waste of fish and probably even animal cruelty at that point because it's just not, not how you treat wildlife. I mean, I mean, I mean, I understand people who catch and release. I, I used, when I was down yes. in big bear, there's this one kid. I don't know who taught this kid outdoor ethics, but it was a thing of beauty to watch this kid. He, if he would watch the fish and if something wasn't bite, biting, he would tie a fly in the field and thinking that's what the fish were going to bite on. And I remember him coming up to me one day going, that guy just took five beautiful trout out of there. Cause big bear Lake actually has a, uh, it's not a native population, but it is a wild population of trout. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful fish. I'm not sure how the fishery is now because the lake is so low. Right. And yeah. uh, he was horrified. These guys were taking fish home. And, uh, and I, I saw this kid over the course of years, uh, a few years, and uh, I was watching this one guy just unhook a trout and throw it over his shoulder out in the lake. And I'm like, no. And I yelled at everybody in this one area. go, everybody, watch this kid.
2: Because <laughs> he would
3: unhook it, and he would gently lay it in the water. Right. He would force uh, air or uh, water into the gills, yeah. and just make sure the fish swam off. It was—I don't. His grandfather, his father must have must have really taught him well, so. taught him right. Yeah, and that, and yeah. that's you know that that type of uh, wilderness or or wildlife ethic. It's something that, that I think, unfortunately, as a society, we're so far removed from the land, we don't understand how it really works. Right. And uh, yeah. we get a lot of people up here, a lot, you know, majority of our population are transplants up here. They're not, they're, they didn't grow up here and, and they really don't understand. Um, we had a bear up in a tree at the Sierra Nevada Lodge. And I was just making sure people weren't bugging it. And this lady right. walks up to me. She goes, what are you doing? I go, I'm watching this bear. She goes, you have bears here? And she had just bought a house here. I go, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I gave her a pamphlet on how to live amongst bears. And uh, and hopefully she read it because she had no idea we had wildlife. And, oh, good uh, grief. It, it's, it's sad. but and, and 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 my wife always laughs at me because I've seen thousands of bears. And every time I see one, we are leaving Roberto's one time and I go, oh, look at that bear run across the street. I got all excited. And she <laughs> goes, how many bears have you seen? Like thousands, but it yes. never gets old. <laughs> it doesn't, does it's, it? it?
2: It's so true. I, it I find that as well. You know, I mean, I don't do what you do, but we all get so excited when- And we
1: should. We are privileged to see that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really cool.
1: It's also humbling for me whenever we see them. It's like, wow, there's this big, powerful creature out here <laughs> that you don't normally get to yeah. see up close. It kind of just reminds you of your own humanity and your own It own does. What do, you,
2: what do you think about the fact that we seem to keep adding people and homes and condos you know, in the area and you know, we're kind of squeezing the bears out? How, how, what do you think that's going to do to the relationship?
3: Well, growth is inevitable. People need a place to live. Um, I don't like it. uh, I mean, I grew up in Orange County uh, when it was still an agricultural area. And um, in high school, my best friend and I, our hobby was trespassing. (laughs) And uh, we would throw like ATVs over fences or we'd take barbed wire fences down, drive across it and put them back up. Or sometimes we'd fix them and we'd pick up trash while we were out there. So if if we got caught... Uh, we would tell the deputy, "Oh, yeah, oh, we were just words. picking up trash." But <laughs> everywhere we went is gone. Yeah, and, wow. and it's, it's sad that yeah. a lot of my childhood memories are just not there anymore. Right. But at the same time, people have to live somewhere, so I see that up here, and it does affect the relationship with uh, where where you have wild lands coming across development. Uh, and you know, a lot of people think, "Oh, the poor animals," but the reality is. Animals like coyotes, bears, and even mountain lions actually benefit from that um, because easy food shows up. Yeah. Um, I used to live in a condo complex where every every couple of days there was a new um, cat missing sign on the mailbox. Yeah, and I knew it yeah. was happening. Right. And one night I finally saw the coyote that was killing the cats, and this thing was so fat he could barely walk. I mean, he he actually. I mean, coyotes are lean, yeah, sleek animals, and this thing wobbled. I don't know how wow. he killed a cat. Yeah. And if you look, um, I, I have a friend down south who's a, who's a biologist for the Department of Fish and Wildlife, and he he would do necropsies on um, on on roadkill, and he said every mountain lion he opened up had domestic dog and cat in it. Interesting. Wow. And uh, he goes a lot of the co- cats that are missing that people think are coyotes are really mountain lions. The bears here, if you look at some of our bears in town, they are unbelievably fat. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, they're not really proportionally flat. They're just, they're just fat, fat, yeah. and, and they're eating yeah. our trash. They're eating our bird seed, um, uh, I, uh, anything that falls on the ground. And the the down part of that, you know, most of the food that people eat, isn't good for people
2: (laughs) right? and it's really bad for bears
3: and you know if they get into a grease trap which is pure calories and fat for the bear it gives them a lot of calories because right now uh, they're trying to get about 20,000 a day in them just to fatten up for winter right but it also gives them diarrhea Um, we Uh. had a bear in a culvert that one of our officers found and she thought that um, it got hit by a car because of the noises it was making and I get to the culvert, oh, and his head's yeah. hanging out, and he's moaning and groaning. I'm like, ugh, I think it did get hit by a car. So we watched it for a while with the flashlights, and he got annoyed. So he gets up, and he walks deeper into the culvert. And I'm watching him walk, no limp, no problem. Uh, he goes around the corner, and I hear him lay down, and I hear him moaning and groaning. I go, oh, what's going on here? So I looked around the area. You can see all these piles of bear scat.
2: Oh. Um, one had... Oh.
3: There was like twisted up plastic bags, um, oh. paper towels, a bottle cap, a ketchup packet. And so. And then there was a fresh puddle of vomit. And oh. I thought, well, this bear has a stomach, stomach ache.
2: ache yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and so
3: that was the same bear I saw in a trash can uh, that I knew had been locked earlier and someone had opened it up. So, That's wow. crazy. Oh, And, you know, they're one of the, uh, in chapter two of that book, they're talking about, it mm-hmm. wasn't Aspen. It was another town. I can't remember what town it was. They have two women mm-hmm. um, who've been citing all the businesses. Right. Yes, And right. that seemed to help with compliance. The problem is here we have a lot of uh, condominium complexes and you can't just cite the complex. You have to pretty much find the individual who's leaving it unlocked. Right. Um, I know a mountain boulevard, a lot of the trash cans there are used as communal dumping grounds and people just drive up, throw their trash and drive away. Uh, right. Because they don't right. have trash at home and right. they're not going to go down to the transfer station, Right, which is what they need to do. <clears throat> right. And so that, so when they do that, they leave it unlocked. that they, they're trying to make a quick getaway. And, and who do you find for that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's tough. And so, you know, I can go, I can, like I said, I spend most of my Sunday night, most of my Sunday night shift, just driving around town, locking trash cans. And, and you know, Mammoth Disposal does a pretty good job at making sure everything's working. Um, but even then, if, if there's a chain latch, if a bear can get its arm in there, yeah. it's going to yeah. try and pull anything out. So if you drive down like Lubin or, or Manzanita mm-hmm. or Mono Street, you'll see closed trash cans with a pile of small trash in front of it. Yeah. And that's what the bear is doing. And that's, that's better than nothing. At least right. they can't get right. into it because they're not dis- they're not very discerning with their diet. They're they're omnivorous. They're opportunist. Right? They'll eat uh, they'll eat bugs. They'll eat grass. They'll eat a diaper. Whatever Ugh. is there in front of them. <laughs> and, uh, and that's where you get the. You know, I'm surprised. I'm actually surprised we haven't had some kind of a death with intestinal blockage or anything. Yeah. So, oh. For for bears.
2: Well, I'm gonna be able to lose ten pounds just keeping that image of a bear <laughs> eating a diaper in my head. <laughs> Sorry about that. So thank you for that.
1: Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this is this is actually good information. It's advice, yeah. right? To people who yeah. are visiting the area or coming yeah. up for Airbnb or, you know. Mm-hmm second homes or what have you be careful with this stuff yeah it, it, and, and, you race, know, and it's,
2: research where you're going
1: exactly and it's a
3: community effort it's a um, you yeah. can't rely on just one person or one agency to do it uh, if, You know, we have a lot of pedestrian traffic in town that we see a lot a trash can and lock, lock it um, yeah. I know there's a couple of restaurants in town that I drive crazy because they'll open the trash can as they're cleaning the kitchen and I'll drive by and lock it and they will go we're putting trash in there I go unless you're standing here this has to be locked. Right. yeah and then yeah. cuz i there's one restaurant they did that and one of the uh, one of the guys cleaning up walked to the trash can and dropped his trash cuz he saw the bear and panicked and ran off so oh
2: not, not, not
3: uh totally understandable so right <laughs> and, uh, oh. and i happened to drive up and the bears eating chicken wings i'm like get out of here man <laughs> Oh living the dream. Gosh. He's living the dream. There you go. He's living
1: the dream.
2: <laughs> so, Rick, we always ask our guests, what are you reading now? Or if you have a favorite book to recommend. So can you share that with us?
3: Right now, I'm reading a book called um, uh, Lies My Doctor Told Me. So basically, it I has a lot of- I just heard of that book. Yes, it, it's an interesting book. It's a. It's written by a doctor, uh, what was his name? Uh Ken Berry, Ken Berry, yeah, and uh, he um, he basically goes through. Here's here's where common misconceptions they're they're propagated by medical doctors, and and it tells you well. Here's what they say. Here's and, and if you ask him what study backs that up, there is no study for what they say. But he has studies that debunk what they say. So like, one of them. Uh, my my mom will never believe this. <laughs> is uh, salt does not cause high blood pressure.
1: Interesting. And
3: he goes, here are the studies that debunk this. And I'm thinking, and you read it, you're like, I don't know, this is true, but he backs it up. So
1: <laughs> well, there wow. you go. That's, he has a bunch uh, of other
3: ones. And I know, in you know, you said a lot of medical doctors, um, they learn that in medical school and they uh, they, they keep that with them their whole career without updating their, their, their knowledge base. And, Interesting. Uh, it is. It's kind of weird. A lot of it, you have to go. He goes, and here is the research. Here is where you can go to read more about it. And so it's kind of weird. Um, well, we I don't usually about read medical like, books. Um, I usually read. Uh, I am sorry. Is it mostly what about think, like most nutrition stuff? I read are short things like technical like what manuals to eat, what, not or. To eat? Uh, what's that?
1: Is it what's mostly that? about like nutrition and what to eat and not to eat? Like uh, salt nutrition. A lot of it's nutrition he says the majority of
3: our health problems are are nutritional. He debunks the whole um, food pyramid. Um, interesting oh, that, yeah. that is that the majority of it was pushed by agricultural interest and not nutritional interest oh wow yeah. so he's you know you got to follow the money and who who backed the study
2: which is true with everything mm-hmm. at this point now yeah I mean,
3: sure whoever paid for yeah. it, that's the that's the that's the results they're gonna the find so, <laughs> yeah and coming, I mean, I was, having, having a science background i'm horrified by that that uh the whole concept of the scientific method has been abandoned. It's just here's what we want to find, here's what we found. Oh, well, that must be true. Rather, you know, I mean, I always thought pure science would find something and then try to debunk what they found. That's always right. been, to me, that's what the scientific method uh, originally <laughs> tried to do. Cool. So, well, how did you find out about this book? Uh, through my wife. She, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. So what she, has, uh, she has she uh, has Hashimoto's, which is uh, a thyroid condition, uh-huh. and which I actually which I hate to say, I thought was a made up disease <laughs> because it just <laughs> sounded silly. And uh, she had um, an <laughs> ultrasound on her thyroid at, at Mammoth Hospital, and the doctor was showing me because she was because she can't eat wheat because of mm-hmm. it, right. it's, it's a okay. their pro, their protein gluten is a protein in wheat. And for some reason, it makes the body think the thyroid is an invasive disease, and it attacks the thyroid. It
2: attacks it, which sounds right. which
3: sounds silly. But as I'm I'm, I'm there watching, it and the doctor's going. So here you can see all the scar tissue around her thyroid from when she eats gluten. I'm like, oh, it's real. Wow, <laughs>
2: I'm a jerk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, <Nah>, you're learning.
3: <sighs> but so so uh, so she reads a lot of stuff on diet and. And uh, oh, mm-hmm. I, a, few, a few years ago, we, we did something together and uh, she was trying to eliminate grains from her diet. So I go, well, I'm, mm-hmm. I'll be a supportive husband. I'll do the same thing and end up losing 25 pounds. I like, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it worked. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, this is uh, Lies My Doctor Told Me by Dr. Ken, Ken Berry. We'll put that yes. on our show page. Yeah. Awesome.
2: And Rick, thank you so yes. much for joining us today. This has been so much fun yeah. and I hope you'll come back and share more stories with us sometime. And
3: I'll come back anytime. I had a great time. Thank you so much.
2: Thank yeah. you. And thank you listeners so much for joining us for this episode of the Oxygen Starved podcast. Please remember you can find us on Instagram at o 2 Starved. Or our website, OxygenStarPodcast.com. Let us know what you're reading now, what you think of the bears and other wildlife here in the Eastern Sierra. We love to hear from you. So until next time, take care and we'll see you soon.
0: Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod in Competech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.